Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. We are about to up anchor and set sail into the heady ocean of business dilemmas and discussions. Nothing's going to stop us. Today, we tackle a dilemma. Can we teach people and organisations to be innovative? The conversation allows us to face into the role that fear plays in hindering things like innovation, to connect innovation with the normal human process of learning. Even the phrase getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Putting boundaries around failure. Innovation comes from the quiet, reflective moments, not necessarily weird and wacky. And what would you do if today was your last day in your current job? Today's executives are Simone Carroll and Alice Sidhu. Both Simone and Alice are very experienced in the whole area of digital transformation and particularly customer centricity. I'm very excited to be here today navigating the seven seas of excitement. Um, that is the conversation we will seven be having. Seven seas of excitement. Seven seas of excitement. Wow. Um, I hope my sibilance uh, didn't uh, destroy that. Um, joining, as always, us on board is uh, shipmate uh, Deck Scrubber. <laughs> deck Scrubber. It's a, necess- it's a necessity on a ship. Um, is Colin Beattie. Hello, Colin. How are you today? It's so delightful to be with you, Amanda, today. It's fantastic. I um, have a question for you to start us off, to kick us off, to launch today's conversation. Colin, what piece of old school technology or or just um, old school hardware, can you not live without or miss if it no longer exists? I actually picture in my head the movie version of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And, <laughs> of course you do. And, who, who didn't go there first? Right. <laughs> and for some reason, and the main character, and I don't even know his name, goes downstairs into the basement and finds an old school phone with the dial, like... Yep. And the funniest moment is he starts to press the numbers. And I went, oh, I remember that. I missed that. And my kids were just going, what is that? So I miss miss the phone that you just... There was something I know it's audio, but I'm dialing. Yeah, and there was something special about like if you got the number wrong and you had to start again. And number nine went, went longer. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> it's tangible <Sorry. laughs> when conversations meant something. I don't know why. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's my answer. I'm, I'm quite confident that that's the only time that answer will come up in this conversation, <laughs> but it's a good one. I love it. Um, joining us as well, hoisting sails today, um, Simone Carroll, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Amanda. So happy to be here to share this time. Oh, and for yourself, what piece of hardware or old school technology do you miss or cannot live without? Well, I'm torn because I love the fashion of that calculator watch. I was, I was a bit of a, a tomboy. <laughs> and I love you the convenience. You can still you get can. them. You can. Yeah. Is it a Casio? So, Casio watch? No. I think it, no, yeah. it might have been Casio. Anyway, I just... It was. It was Casio. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was a wonderful fashion statement and went really well with my pump Reeboks. Oh, of course it did. Of course it did. High tops. Protect those ankles. That's it. And I, and I do. I really miss those. That's great. I, I'm, I think I've seen someone we know named Rick Brown with a pair of um, those pump Reeboks just recently. Well, that was um, real technology. Real technology. Um I'm going to also say hoisting sails because we've got a lot of sails to hoist. We are joined as well by Alice Sidhu. Hi, Amanda. How are you? (laughs) I'm I'm delighted to be here, like everyone else. (laughs) Now, there's no right or wrong. Um, 
which piece of technology could you not live without or miss? So I'm going to do what um, politicians do and answer the question that I actually want to answer. Yeah, great. great. (laughs) Um, Because I'm not sure I miss the technology, but um, one of the things that I was thinking about when Colin talked about the movie Diary of a Wimpy Kid, um, which I've not seen, but we'll we'll want to now, um, is uh, the record, uh, the cassette player. That's my answer too. And so, oh, I'm so, yeah. And so, um, and it's actually, I don't miss it, but there was this this poignant moment of nostalgia when I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And the mixtape. And yep. I see some nods, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Completely. And the whole mixtape and how that theme ran through the, that movie, yep. I thought was particularly, you know, for anyone who kind of grew up with that whole thing of recording. Oh, <laughs> completely. Yeah, um, play record. Yeah, play record. <laughs> and it's I so still have a cassette deck in my car. Yeah. We have not upgraded in my vehicle and um, all the tapes are now starting to get so stretchy that it doesn't work anymore. I'm devastated. So I appreciate that technology has moved on and enabled us in a completely different way. Yes. But I also, you know, love the memories and the association of that. Yeah. I I just don't want to go back there, that's all. Love it. When I was 14, I can't help this now, but when I was 14... (laughs) uh, There was a good friend of mine, his name was Matt, and they used to call Matt Molly, as in Matt Molly Meldrum. Right. Okay. And I was always a bit devastated because they were prepared, this is my friends, called me Donnie, Donnie Sutherland. Now, (laughs) those of you who are of a particular age may recall that Donnie Sutherland was always the try-hard Molly Meldrum and I was the (laughs) try-hard in terms of the mixtape kings of Swan Hill High School. Oh, Colin, you give so much of yourself to this podcast. You're very vulnerable right now. We will have to call you Donnie. I feel bad, but now I know I'm not feeling vulnerable. I was feeling proud. Now now I'm starting to question myself. I've um, I've, I've turned it around the wrong way. Let's go. Let's steer this shit back into its positive light. Thank you. I was going to say vulnerability would actually be asking what was on the mixtape. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So let's not go there. (laughs) Careless whisper. George Michael. <laughs> sexy saxophone. Is it too early to talk about a sexy saxophone? Probably. Never. Oh, I was oh, going to say never. We're in international I was waters. Say never. <laughs> um, I, my embouchure was not correct for the clar- uh, for the saxophone. I had to play clarinet. Can't do the same solo on that. Anyway, You're being vulnerable too. I'm always vulnerable, Colin. <laughs> That's my special skill. <laughs> Vulnerability. Um, moving into the uh, more serious Good yet luck. still <laughs> lighthearted conversation uh, that we're going to talk about today. Um, the question I'm posing, the question we will be uh, talking about, is it possible to teach organisations or change cultures to be more innovative? or innovative, depending on how you prefer to pronounce that word. <laughs> oh, it's big. It's uh, So I am a consultant. I have a range of different clients, different industries, and innovation and all its variations, including words like invention, um, is a cultural desire. And um, I think it's... Uh, one of those topics that can frustrate people, can uh, can pay off, and anywhere in between. So I think it's it's a great topic because the question is, can you teach? As opposed to things like, do you have to uh, confront the question of recruiting in new innovative talent? Can you build that co- sort of culture from within? 
I see you nodding, Alice. <laughs> where where, where uh, do we start on this one? Oh, um, I don't know where we start, but it's certainly going to be an interesting conversation in terms of where we end, I think, with um, I see some nodding too. Um, can you teach them yes? Um, is it easy? Yes, with a hesitation. Yeah, yes, because um, it's it's everything's doable, right? So everything's possible. Yep. Um, what's the formula? And I think this is what we're going to explore in the conversation, which is what's the formula or the recipe for success and stickiness and sustainability? Because what you're talking about is essentially um, cultural transformation um, and essentially, you know, creating an environment and then the, the processes, first comes the cultural piece and then the processes and the, you know, and the governance um, and the ways of working to actually make sure that that's embedded as a way of working so that you become an organisation that has that in its DNA, can which I is what you, you want to get to. Can I slow you down a bit on that? So you yeah. say, let's start with the culture first. What do you mean by that? Um, so I think there's some ingredients around being innovative that you absolutely need to have. Um, and that one of those things is your... Um, uh, you need to understand that it's important. You need to understand why it's important and how it's actually going to create value for your organisation. And that could be, because it's a business conversation, we can be pretty, you know, open and say uh, how it's going to add to the bottom line or, or and give you growth. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is um, how you, you need to have a risk appetite because innovation is actually by its nature and definition is about doing something that has not been done before. Exactly. It's not transformation, which is incremental. Innovation is about, you know, turning something on its head. Um, it's a light bulb. It's literally a light bulb moment. And so to do that, you need to go into, dare I make a nautical analogy. <laughs> I, I'm hating myself right now, but I can't stop it. Do it, do it, do it. Uncharted waters. Yeah. <laughs> Stormy seas. <laughs> and, um, and you know, there's a, there's a risk of capsizing. That's right. But if you've got your safety checks and you're wearing your life jackets, it's doable. Yeah, yeah. And so the culture around the organisation needs to be... Um, needs to have the risk appetite within constraints in terms of what you can do and then you need to be able to accept that things are not necessarily going to stay on course. Someone stop me. <laughs> These analogies, <laughs> analogies are terrible. Um, you won't stay on course um, and how you course correct and then, you know, and what happens from that. And some things you've just got to write off. And so the other part of it is you've got to be prepared to say, we tried, it didn't work, cut, as opposed to what, you know, we see a lot of organisations doing, which is three years still trying to resuscitate. Right. Um, and so that's the cultural element around that. And and so the safety and security that comes um, for people and leaders in terms of saying that that's okay, we accept that this is going to happen and the parameters for that to be um, acceptable. And so you can operate without fear in that environment as well. Oh. So there's a lot that. of stuff in there. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, stop. No, no sorry, yeah. there is a lot of stuff in there. But again, it's actually so beautifully articulated. Like, you know, I almost feel like I want to listen to the, that podcast piece again and just write it all down. Cause if I, only we were I think, recording it. That's right. <laughs> Funny about that. So, so I suspect there's, there's lots of answers in there. Uh, but the question will be how? How do we do that? Simone? Yeah, it, it is... Uh, Uncharted territory for uh, many organisations. I think the can you so can you train an organisation to be innovative? Well, yes, you can, and it will innovate somehow. It's easy to sort of think about you know the top you know, global companies 
when we think about this, but 98% of businesses, are, you know, the butcher, the, the hairdresser and, you know, the high street. And you'll see innovation there. You'll see, you'll see winners and losers there. And, um, you know, if, if I take, you know, my father was a hairdresser, if I take hairdressing, what's happened there, there's innovation in product, there's innovation in cutting. You know, so the innovation's coming through. In most crafts, in most trades, there are, there are new ways of, of doing things. The question, I think, though, for any investor of a business is to what extent are you prepared to invest in innovation? And to what extent are you already invested in your core business? Is the core business by nature innovative? Are you a pure play digital company? Or is it something that's got a lot of debt in it? Um, energy, for example, you invested 35 years in a coal mine. So I think, you know, to what extent investors are prepared to get behind the innovation, the research yeah. required, the, the time required to look into innovation is the big question. And, and you know, perhaps an organisation doesn't need to learn to be uh, overly innovative. Perhaps it needs to work with innov innovative companies and, and partner in order to get them to where they, that happy place, that place they need to go. So in that, I hear that there's different ways of going about this. Yeah, there's like different ways. Like we can ways. quarantine. We can say, well, let's experiment over here and quarantine it, which might make it easier to kill it when it's not working or to integrate it back in, to partner with alliances. Um, yeah. It's not always about total re-education of the fundamental business. Yeah, so you'd have to... The, the first um, you know, premise of this is is that... Humanity will change in time, and and as a result of that, in business, there will be these. You'll be, there'll be winners and losers, and then it's a question of if you need to innovate in order to win, how are you going to do that? And if you're the only one that can do that, because there there is no one to work with to do that, if you have to be the company to do that or die, then you, the, your investor needs to be prepared to invest in that. Then we get down to leadership. What messages are you giving the market? How are you getting the market behind you? Communication, managerial courage. And I think that that's what we need to see more of around the globe. Do we start with the same uh, question, which is that question of risk? Like, Alice, you, that, that resonated quite strongly in yours, the risk appetite the risk appetite of the investor. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot there's um, some really um, interesting things that I was thinking about when you were talking, Simone. So, you know, I think it goes back to that question of what innovation actually is, and to me, it's actually doing something differently. I really liked um, what you called out in terms of partnering. Even that, to me, is an innovation in an operating model. And so I really like the idea that if, you, if you're open to different things, then, you know, good things happen. You think about exactly what it is that you want to do. What you're good at, I think, is fundamentally important. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about a lot of organisations is that they're thinking, is what I'm good at good enough? And that's, I think, a very confronting question. Um, how do I stay relevant? And how am I best placed to succeed in this new competitive landscape? And that's what's driving a lot of it. Also, the demand from consumers, whatever market you're in, whether it's health or, you know, energy, which we mentioned earlier. Um, or even, haircuts. Or haircuts, <laughs> actually, I was going to say. Um, and so part of that is actually understanding how you get at the front and anticipate the needs that are coming because that's 
that's where you need to be yeah, and maybe that's a challenge. Maybe it's just me, but when you said that, I got chills <laughs> because oh. that's, is what I'm doing good enough? Yeah, is, completely. Is the yeah. sort of starting question, yeah. that objective view yeah. of my business. I want to throw a contrary or a different view, a parallel view I'll say, um, which is that sometimes innovation happens when you're not expecting it. So there's two ways, right? So one of them is I'm going to go and do something different and you've got a strategy and you're deliberate about it and you're trialling and failing and R&D and those types of things um, where you actually need to do something in a very um, structured way. Um, I was reading an article recently about the world's top restaurants and how they innovate um, and that's how they've stayed at the front in terms of, you know, the two or three Michelin stars. And um, they were talking about um, Al Bulay and they were saying that um, the way that they actually started, they've essentially got an R&D lab and the way that they actually got to that was by um, taking the opportunity to close down in winter when they were a little bit slower and go and experiment and find new recipes and then test them through essentially what is an equivalent of an R&D lab. Now, they didn't go out and say, we want to be innovative. Yeah. What they did was, you know, the, the situation that they were confronting was we, we're quiet in winter. How do we kind of keep fresh? I don't think they use the word innovative. It just happened organically. Um, and so that's the other interesting thing about, you know, what we're talking about, which is sometimes you say I need to be more innovative. And in fact, um, what I've observed in organisations, I'm sure we all have um, similar examples, is the more innovative you try and be, <laughs> the more you actually revert to type. Yeah. And so <laughs> you're actually going backwards. Or, in or, this, you go, yeah. or you try and go weird and wacky and that yeah. never yeah. really works. <laughs> you become the version, you, you, you become the thing you think innovation that's is. That's right. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, Amanda. Well, exactly. It's the, the use of the word innovation from, um, say, from a street level from where I'm from, you, I automatically think it must be having quite, um, not otherworldly, but yeah, like let's look at it from a different angle. Let's think outside the box. But literally it could be let's just not waste our time in winter when we have more staff than we need and we're wasting produce and we'll just use that time effectively and then become very popular again when we open up in the warmer mm. months mm. for a restaurant's point of view. Yeah, isn't, um, isn't it funny that when when humans have to come together for a purpose, whether they're, they're in an emergency situation or a wartime situation or close down over winter, whatever, that's when humans start to innovate. Mm. You know, so that's when they sort of say, what could we learn? Mm. Now, that's, that's, all, that's all we're really required to do is just to not be so busy that we don't stop and think think, you know, is what we're doing good enough? Could we do it better? How could we learn? Let's move forward. It goes to that question that you asked about risk though, because there is something in that type of situation where you're actually feeling like you have nothing to lose. So in an emergency situation, the priority to respond quickly is more important than anything else. And then you've got things like common objectives and, and so forth. And you might have a humanitarian layer in that. Um, you know, when you're thinking, I'm just going to think about how I make a better use of my time, then you, you're, you know, the trade-off around the risk reward or risk uh, consequence, actually, when you think about risk in this context, it's risk consequence, then you think, well, I can make that trade-off and the consequence of doing that is not going to be, you know, punitive. Well, this yeah. is the scary thing about larger organisations that are not close to the to the market. So, if you're in a business that's over 500 people and um, there's a lot of overhead in there, a lot of people who are distant from the market, who are doing the things that they're meant to do in their job description, they get that done at the end of the day and they think, oh, you know, I've done 
my job and I might take some time off. And, and I'm not suggesting people need to work all hours, but what if you thought of your job as learning? You know, what if you sort of, it never really was an end to your day. You just did what you were interested in. Wouldn't we all naturally innovate that way? Just an interesting concept. When you're closer, you learn more. And I suppose if... if, if um if things are going well, you know, if you, you're kind of getting by and you there's there's nothing necessarily bad happening with your business or your company or your any any sort of workplace, um, the complacency creeps in, and that can take a very long time. But that very long time, you can suddenly one day become like irrelevant in yeah. many ways. Some businesses would, yeah, if they've just been complacent because business as usual has been acceptable. Um, but I imagine that that complacency is what is the killer of innovation because you're not looking to excel or be better. And I know as an improviser, and we talk about it a lot, um, our kind of innovation is just trying new things on stage. Um, it's There's no technology involved, or, or maybe it is people trying different things out podcasting on, um, you know, improv shows and things like that. But it's that complacency where you think, well, I'm getting enough work that makes me happy enough. Anything else would feel like I have to work harder. Um, and then so you, you just kind of yeah. plateauing out. And then eventually, though, other people who are hungrier or willing to try something, they're quite happy to take some risks – they that that one risk they take can you know leaps and bounds absolutely while your material's getting old that's right that's yeah. right yeah. knock knock <laughs> no, this is a good one no, your material's yeah. not old by the way no no no, no. it's like the mixtape we're all fans yeah take, take that Rick Brown <laughs> I reckon there's some myth busting that we could actually do in this podcast. So the word innovation uh, probably, in my experience, is never that helpful. So that would be... Uh, I think people are intimidated by the word innovation. I think that's innovation. right. That's right. And then if we take it one step f- further, when we say the word creative, then it even gets more scarier in terms of the barrier, those internal barriers that go up for people. Um, the other myth busting would be that I often hear organisations investing in innovation workshops with colour and movement and lights and toys. Sweatshirts. And sweatshirts. (laughs) And I sometimes wonder whether, because my own reflections is my best ideas come in the quietest moments. Uh, So, you know, whether that's in the shower or, you know, going for a walk or something like that. It's the quiet moments. I've got to stop singing in the shower. (laughs) It's not quiet when I'm in there. Um, Different shower, don't worry. And the other other myth-busting topic that I learnt absolutely from improvisers, people like you, Amanda, is that innovation comes from the obvious. Oh, yeah. So, and I'm really struck because this is where diversity kicks in seriously and big time. If we have four different people tackling the one topic, none of us have to be innovative. We all have to say what is our obvious, but my obvious is going to be different to yours, Alice, and your, yours is going to be different to your... You know, Simone's yes. going to be different to mine. If we listen, and that's the big if, if we listen, we will find some innovative answer to the dilemma oh, that we're faced by. We have a saying which is your obvious could be somebody else's genius. So yeah. people are sometimes scared to say the obvious in a... Oh, oh I love that. I just made, I just oh. made you react physically. <laughs> I've got chills. Um, because Yours. sometimes... What is it again? Your, your obvious <laughs> could be somebody else's genius. And in an improv world, it could be something like, um, you know, just giving someone a cup, a mimed cup. 
Um, and your obvious thing would be to take a sip. But I promise you, if you take a sip from that mimed cup, the audience goes, oh, she sipped from the cup mm-hmm. and they love it. But if you wear it as a hat, they're like, what is she doing? So really it's about just um, if that is the obvious choice and it hasn't been taken yet, you've got to do it. Um, so I imagine that works yes. in other worlds as well where people just say, hey, have we ever thought of it doing this? Or my last workplace, I used to do this. And it's really funny I've just had lots of admin jobs in my time going into offices, very low level, just, you know, um, because I'm a professional actor and singer and improviser. Um, but, but you got a website you'd like to embarrass <laughs> to, Amanda? <laughs> Amanda Buckley at facebook.com. Um, hilarious. Uh, but the... Um, Often I've gone in and because I've tempted a lot of places and I've worked at different workplaces, if I go in and say, do you guys have a, I don't know, have you guys ever thought of scanning all these documents instead of putting them in the in a folder um, and people have often said um, at this one particular workplace oh, but this is what we've always done mm. um, but why do we ever look at those pa- pieces of paper oh we need to keep them just in case do we really want to keep them here oh can we do that you know it really simple things mm. um, but often workplaces just go by but that's what we've always done mm. it's never been a problem so we've never addressed it mm. but little things can make a huge change um, I'm and that is Amanda out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pumped because I know Simone was particularly pumped, like she was almost high fives in those moments. <laughs> but I think what, what we're really saying is if the word innovation and creativity puts pressure on you, um, the word obvious, sh- you know, I can't imagine that's going to put that much pressure on. So the, the, um, the visual cup that you're about to hand me or the improvised cup the shared goblet uh, of shared trust. The shared goblet of trust. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I need to take a sip out of it. Drink it, yes. That's the gold as opposed to, you know, as you said, you yeah. put it on the, you know, your head or whatever. So what I'm really trying to say there is it's in the obvious that the, the genius is, as you've alluded to. I don't know what I'm saying. Now. No, it's perfect. It's <laughs> all good. Yeah, yeah, it makes two of us. I don't know. I'm yeah. too excited. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. But then here you are receiving the obvious, you know, someone else's obvious as well, that sort of preparedness to receive... Yeah. You know, others. Guys, we're a really good team. <laughs> <laughs> We've cracked the code. So <laughs> this is so easy. I don't know why everyone isn't doing it. I know, exactly. <laughs> so why aren't people doing it? Oh, it's really I, But I think so Alice I'm... mentioned something right up the top, which right. really struck with me, which was you said operating in an environment without fear. Yeah. Something like along those lines. Yeah, look, I mean, I've mentioned it under um, culture, I think, or if I didn't, I should have, <laughs> because that seems like a better well, response. Did. I think you did. I'm sure. I'm pretty yeah, sure you I did. did. It was awesome. Absolutely. Um, and so the culture is, you know, how people operate, how they feel about things and, you know, that sort of um, the conventions around how you work and what's acceptable and what's not. And it's interesting because in the example that you just talked about, Amanda, which is, you know, the paper and that's the way we've always done things, there's not anything that's particularly wrong with that. And that's okay because it works. Totally. And so the question is, is that good enough? And there is something to me about um, innovation and a culture of, of challenging um, how things are done to improve. So you wouldn't do it. And this is the whole thing around, you know, you've got to think about the outcome that you want. You, you don't just turn up one day and go, I'm not going to drink from a cup at all. I'm just going to, I don't know, put my, you know, put my, <laughs> my mouth under the tap and drink from that. Um, that would be like, why are you doing that? Um, that doesn't make sense. And then your analogy wouldn't work either about the cup. So that would be terrible in all sorts the of ways. The cup is so important. Um, there's something though about really saying that, you know, that, that there is um, something around turning up and saying, I'm going to, I want to make things better today. 
I want I want today to be better than yesterday. And I heard this expression around productive disruption, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I feel like, you know, hashtag productive <laughs> disruption, because the whole concept of it is challenge the status quo. And there may be innovation at the end of it. There may not be, and that's okay. It's more about saying challenge that and make sure it makes sense. If it does make sense, if that is okay, if the paper and the folder is okay because for some reason that works, then that's okay. Because what you don't want to do is just, you know, usurp everything for the... Um, because, yeah, then yeah. you get the cynicism, right? We're just changing and earlier so to the your si- point. So the simplicity in what you're saying is the... It's not, a, again, about innovation. It's about how can I be better? How can the organisation be better? That normal... When I say normal, most people turn up to work wanting to do a good job. Yeah, absolutely. So it's continuing to tap into that. And perhaps, and maybe I think it is important we talk about the fear aspect of this, the um, you know, the, the sense of what happens when it goes wrong, mm. when it fails, Yeah, con- when like it if there are up. consequences to yeah. those thoughts of change. Or- yeah. Yeah, which, which clearly keeps people quite stuck. Yeah. Um, and sometimes for very valid reasons, like it doesn't feel safe. It just doesn't feel safe to throw up, even if it's an obvious idea. Like I'm, I feel that I'm going to get attacked. Uh, blamed, usually. Blamed. I mean, and that's where the, you know, the whole idea of, um, I guess, putting yourself out there. Some of it's vulnerability, but some of it is just much more fundamental, which is I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardise my job. And that might be because, um, you know, you need the job or because it creates a structure of um, certainty. Um, There's so many dimensions to all of that. And so there's something to me about, um, and that's the productive disruption link, I think the idea of turning up every day and working as if it's your last, what would you do? Uh, what would you do? I'd probably you'd... flip the desk though, yeah. so I'm not sure if <laughs> well, I knew I'm not it was sure my last I'd turn day. up. <laughs> but, you, know, you know what I mean. Let's just go with it because it's a terrible analogy no, now, that, now that we've I said it out loud. No, no, no. no. Um, but if, today, if tomorrow was your last day of work, what would, you, what would you do? What would you say? You know, respectfully, this isn't about going in and downloading no, on you everyone. You like the job. But how would you act? What would you challenge? Um, what would you call out that doesn't make sense? And and, and, you know, how would you challenge people? And so, you know, if you could have that environment, that would that would be an awesome environment. And obviously organisations with those environments do exist. Yeah, I think this is why, you know, one of the primary roles of a leadership team is to create that you know, safety and security, that environment of safety and security. It's not just HR's job. You know, it's... it's um, it's it's all of that executive team to give their their people um, permission to do that, or if you're in a smaller business, it's your job as the boss to to get that done. Um, because to take that sort of fear away from having an opinion and, mm. and failing is really good. Yeah. Yeah. But also yeah. to be very clear to to what kind of scope people have to fail. So if um, you know ninety percent of your revenue comes f- from a core business that runs, say you're in, working for a law firm, you know, those that runs on accuracy, you know, or um, you're, in a, you're an airline pilot. You're, you're working <laughs> yeah. for, then Don't you, take too many risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Right. So let's all just be clear, but here are the parameters in which we're thinking about repositioning our organisation and, you know, w- and we want you at the airline pilot to, to contribute to that problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. There's something about, um, it reminds me um, of uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and he talks about, you know, one of the principles of um, these organisations that have continued to grow. Um, 
around sitting down at the executive table and talking about what's worked and what hasn't. And to me, um, the whole idea of risk and fear is actually being able to talk about things that didn't work. So being really deliberate about what you're going to do. So you can innovate in the aviation industry. I just wouldn't do it as a pilot on a, in the middle of a flight. Yeah. Right? And so that that is obvious. Um, so if you know if you do choose to think about something, it doesn't work. Then go back and examine that you know, forensically without emotion and without the blame and learn from it as yeah. well as think about what you did that worked well so you can replicate that. And that to me is, you know, part of the magic ingredient around how you actually kind of build this different culture, which is that needs to be foundational because then you can open yourself up, as you said earlier, Simone, to different partnerships yeah. um, because you have the confidence of what you're good at and what, and what your partner is good at. Um, otherwise, you know, then you don't go in with trust and so forth. So there's a lot of really different things that you can do yeah. um, just within the right constraints. It sounds like um, if leaders are modelling that behaviour, showing that um, amount of uh, willingness to ask questions and, like you said, challenge some things that um, maybe haven't been challenged for a really long time, um, but then showing that modelling that behaviour just says it's okay, um, yeah, to the to the parameters of making sure it's still uh, productive to the to the core of the business as opposed to just because. Yes, yeah, and making sure I think in. Um you know, if, if you're the person learning and trying to, you know, do the in, the innovative thing, to be really conscious of how much your ego is playing into mm. that. That's um, great. Great to, point. To recognise, I think the first thing is to rather to, to point out within yourself where you could be flawed in your logic set or in your ability to execute, um, to acknowledge that, um, you know, I don't know how these dots are going to connect and I may not be great at making decisions around the, you know, the commercial analysis of my idea or whatever it might be that's not your strength. Mm, yeah. So really, really important that if you are going to use other people's money or your own money, if this is your own idea, that um, you're very conscious of, commu be very conscious of communicating what you know and what you don't know and communicate that as you move forward, just to be very respectful that as much as you love your idea and you're curious about how this thing's going to unfold, there are other people, you know, at risk here. It's not a business. Mm. It's other people's money. Yeah. And it could be your family's money. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Ego, I reckon yeah. we might <laughs> yeah. not open that up right now, although... That's a can that's, of worms. I mean, I have no ego, so it's fine because I'm very Apparently humble. Apparently it's a dirty word. And beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ego on stage as well. That's oh, the other thing we could talk a lot about. Completely. There's so performers. much. There's so many transferables there into my world, particularly around trust and fear operating within the constraints of I, I'm allowed to try things, I'm allowed to show a certain amount of vulnerability and I can make mistakes, I just have to get back up quickly and um, that's a lot of the improviser talk we have about um, failing in moments. Like we all mm. fail a moment but we won't, you know, new improvisers might they're new for a reason and so they're allowed to there's a there's a, a bigger allowance to how much failing we, we fail gracefully or we fail fabulously um but as you become more experienced you still fail but you'll fail a moment not the whole show you won't that you pick yourself up from that and your co-workers your your colleagues your co-performers um 
are all aware that they've got your back at all times. So if those moments happen, they're there to pick you up and you're there to pick them up when it happens to them because that's that's the agreement, that's the trust environment that we work within. Yes. So a lot of it is so transferable um, because ultimately we're all um, – it keeps coming back. I've heard um, – I've been binge listening to um, Leadership of Fools, not just to listen to my own voice but to remind <laughs> myself of the amazing things that we talk about. Um, but there's so much conversation about being human ultimately and just a reminder that we are all human. So um, – we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be vulnerable. We, we have to be honest. We won't know everything. But to um, not let that hold us back from yeah. doing amazing things because yeah. collectively we can achieve much more. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something about how you learn a skill um, and how you master something, and that's through iteration. And you don't um, – I don't know about you guys, but, <laughs> you know, I, I tried to play the piano in year 10. It turned out my hands were too small to span. Oh, um, see, when nature so, works against you. I know, you. <laughs> so that was nature. Um, but no one, I, I guess, except for, you know, geniuses perhaps, but even I'm sure Mozart practiced a lot. You know, he didn't sort of start playing the piano at six months. I'm fairly and, certain he was uh, insane I'm probably as well. Gonna, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, just go with me on this. It's turning out to be a very bad analogy. But but the idea is that you um, you need to start, you, you know, you need to think about something. You need to have an idea, a goal or a passion whatever that might be and then you need to dedicate time to it and commitment and you're not going to get it right the first time I don't know how many things that you know any of us could pick up and do for the first time and get it right 100% of the time and so there's there's failure but failure doesn't need to necessarily mean I've crashed and burned it's actually, hey, I didn't get it quite right. And maybe it's just I need to tweak. And that's the whole idea yeah. of, you know, um, everyone's using agile um, strategies now. So that's part of that. But the whole idea of resilience as well, which is, yeah, I'm not going to get to play the piano the first time. I'm not going to run, you know, do a thousand things well. I'm going to keep improving and that's okay as well because I can see the end state. And so there is something around um, diligence, commitment, resilience, and then adaptation along the way, which goes to your point, Simone, about, you know, you're not going to, you're not there to blow a whole ton of cash and go, well, you know, I'm innovating, get with the program. Um, it's really about saying, I've got this, it hasn't worked. Um, and within those constraints, this is what I learned. Or if I make this tweak, this is it's going to get me to where I need to be. Yes. And so th that's part of the cultural piece as well. One of the um, the, the things that <clears throat> I've learned along the way about culture in sort of private equity companies or, you know, business like realestate.com.au that are rapid growth or non-digital companies is innovate, the, the culture of innovation and, and learning is um, is cheap. You don't have to spend a lot of money on, on that. Yeah, that's right. That's and what's, yeah. what's really fun about it, why I know I'm addicted to it and, and I, I know that, um, you know, Alice is as well, is that um, you get to infuse things. So it might look silly to throw a beanbag in the corner or bring, you know, bring in some band equipment and those sorts of things but what you what you're doing is you're encouraging people just to learn you yeah, know yeah, yeah. and to, to learn about the thing you got to do or just this idea of be uncomfortable with not knowing the future um and have a go and so I've just recently applied that to my personal life. I just want to share. And not just to see, does this really work? I picked up the ukulele recently. Ah. Awesome. Yeah, and I thought, I've got to start getting uncomfortable again because you know, I'm sort of trying to teach people about new Leadership things. Leadership of Fools banned. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we need that. <laughs> oh, God, you said that one day I might be able to sing on the podcast and it's going to happen sooner rather than later, Colin. <laughs> Clearly, I've told you I did not succeed with the piano, right? So that was that was where you fail fast. We start and again. <laughs> well, just to kind of you know, talk about ego and how that gets in the way of learning. It's really do things before you think even about your, your business. There's going to be new things you're going to do in business. I'd encourage you to do things. Look 
at maybe what your child's doing at school or put some other subjects, not just your business subject. Go and learn to surf. Go and learn to snowboard. Go and learn to play the ukulele. Do things that you may not want to master but teach you how to learn again. Yeah, Because we fail to do that as adults. Yeah, I feel like... Love it. I feel like that is almost like... We've already found our takeaways. Yeah. Um, but would anyone, uh, would we like to go around and just um, very briefly? Uh, the only other one that thematic, thematically played out over that conversation was, I think the question we asked was teaching organisations and I'm now reframing that to, I think we have to fundamentally look at the how, the culture, the environment. Uh, the, the learning will kick in rather than the teaching idea. An environment of learning rather than an environment of teaching. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something to that anyway. Exactly. Um, A a takeaway from you? Yeah, I I think that's the main one. I think this is where some of the greatest companies of our our time have hit on this with their campus, uh, you know, university approach, academic approach to business. Yeah. Um, They're very clear about when's for business and and when's for play, but play and and learning's um, you know, goes hand in hand and we all, we've all got to play as adults in order to get those insights. And Alice? Um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and instead of saying no when I can't and that's the way it's always been done, say what if I can and reimagine the way it could be and if it doesn't work, that's okay. At least you tried. Fantastic. Guys, I think that we don't just have a leadership of fools. We have a friendship of <laughs> legends. And, <laughs> and I'm gonna le- we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, let's all hear it for everybody's obvious being complete genius. After re-listening, we've retitled the episode, You're Obvious, Others Genius. A few mentoring hits today. Number one, teams can be great at innovating when they are diverse. But it's also important that when people offer their obvious, the team listens and receives that obvious. Number two, teaching innovation is not nearly as important as creating an environment of learning. And our final mentoring hit for the day, innovation is easy when we focus on customer needs. And a slight take on this or a different take on this, it is easier if we treat it every day as our last one in our roles. Thanks for listening. Leadership of Fools is a Somersault production. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. And don't forget to visit leadershipoffools.com.